So we're beginning a series on family, and you might say, okay, well, is the family important? Is, is there a series on the family? Is that important for today? I just want you to consider a few things. And you probably keep up with the news, but just consider. There are several cases before our courts right now. And, they, and there's actually two of them that are being presented to the Supreme Court. One in particular I thought was extremely interesting. Uh, most of these uh, have to do with uh, bakers, people who are cooking cakes and bakery, not wanting to cook a, or make a cake for a same-sex marriage. For They felt like that was against their convictions of what they believed as a Christian, to not support that, not to be a part of that. One case uh, is concerning a man named Jack Phillips in Colorado. And it began actually in 2013. And what's interesting about this case is that he had done many uh, cakes and different things for um, gay couples and gay people. He's done that, you know, many times, in fact. Has no problem with that. But when it came down to doing the, the marriage cake, he drew the line and said he felt like he couldn't do that. And so there are as many uh, gay-owned bakeries in that uh, city of Lakeland, Colorado, as there are uh, the others. So he had no problem going right down the street and finding uh, someone to do that. And there was no problem doing that, but the ACLU convinced him to file suit anyway. And here's the interesting thing that is, it's gotten a long ways. Just recently, they presented this to the Supreme Court of Colorado. And the Supreme Court of Colorado refused to hear it. And, and I was reading some facts about this. And this is the interesting thing. That the uh, Alliance for Defending Freedom is defending this baker. His name is Jack Phillips. And this was what they are basing this on. And this is the thing I think we need to realize. First of all, this was their petition. And they said it's an undisputed fact that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission does not apply their Discrimination Act, Anti-Demonstration Act, to number one, there was an African-American cake artist who refused to create a cake promoting white supremacists. I can understand that. Uh, but they didn't feel like he was discriminating by refusing to do that. And then there was also an Islamic cake artist refused to create a cake that denigrated the Quran. And again, I can understand that, but they didn't feel like he was uh, discriminating by refusing to do that. Uh, and then, uh, matter of fact, it was the Westboro uh, Baptist Church that was, was wanting to do that. And then three secular cake artists, they refused to create cakes opposing same-sex marriage for a Christian patron. So they were gay-owned, and Christians came in and said, we would like you to have a, a, a cake that promotes uh, Christian marriage, traditional families. And those gay bakers said, no, we refuse to do that. And there were three of them. And so the Civil Rights Commission felt like that was not discrimination. 
But the one Christian who stood his ground and said, I feel like it's wrong for me to do this, they felt like it was a discrimination against him. And they filed a suit, and he has a $150,000 fine facing him, and he's appealed it all the way. Now it's all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And to me, it's, it's, it's just... <laughs> when I was reading about this this week, I thought, how did we get here? How did we get in America to this place to where everybody else in the world can express their opinions have their beliefs. Everybody has a right to their beliefs. And it's like everybody has the right to their beliefs and their opinions except Christians. But when Christians make a stand and say, this is my belief as a Christian, then all of a sudden that's discrimination. And and, and I felt like the Lord said, first of all, that There's just a tremendous amount of misinformation that has been presented because it is not hate or opposition to somebody by having a conviction. That's just the truth. I don't hate anybody. I, I believe in supporting everybody and loving everybody. But it seems somehow we've come to a place in our nation where a Christian does not have that right. Now, you have to understand that th this is a plan. This has been a systematic plan from the beginning. And let's just think spiritual instead of natural, just a second. That the real problem here is that the forces that hate God, ultimately Satan, but the forces inspired by Satan are not content to, quote, have freedom. Because this is what they basically said. Uh, they, they said to this Jack Phillips, they said, listen, we'll drop this suit if you will go to, uh, I don't know exactly the phrase they used, but they wanted to retrain their mind. They wanted to reprogram their thinking. And if they would agree to go to this thing where their thinking would be reprogrammed and, and, their, and they would change their beliefs, then they would drop the suit. So it really had nothing to do with the cake. <laughs> Didn't have anything to do with it. It just had to do with they're irritated that Christians have the right to make a stand. And so I want to tell you folks. The family is important. And. It reiterated to me. The necessity. For us to be able to give an answer. We need to be able to have an answer. For those who ask us. Why. Is the family. Important. Because you understand where this is going. It's going to the place where they don't want there to be a traditional marriage. And you understand, put this in the backdrop that for thousands of years, thousands of years, 
families have been consisted of men and women and children. Mom and a dad and children raising those children. That's been going on in civilization after civilization, nation after nation. It's been going on everywhere. Long before America ever became a nation, families have been families. And so the plan is very simple, and that is to destroy every semblance of the traditional family. And there's even a creeping... I don't know how to describe this. It, it's, it's seeping through the church. And, and it's trying to get the church to change their beliefs. It, it's, you know, I thought I was reading Hezekiah the other day. And Hezekiah was faced with, I, I taught on this not long ago, but Hezekiah was facing his huge army of 200,000 men with the king of Assyria and king Shinnachsarib. And although he had this huge army, and he could easily lay siege and take Jerusalem, not a problem. His army far outweighed Jerusalem's army. But you know what he spent all his time doing? He spent all his time sending messengers to the wall and trying to convince Hezekiah and trying to convince his leaders to give up and open up the gates so that they wouldn't have to fight a battle. And I thought, that's just what's going on now. The enemy is trying to get the church to give up and surrender our convictions without a fight. Shinnachsarib blasphemed God and said, why do you think God will fight for you? We've won every battle that we've come up against. Why wouldn't you just go ahead and let, we'll treat you good. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> murdered everybody, men, women, and children, in every place they had been. We'll be good to you. We'll let you go to your fields and have a good time. Yeah, right. They're going to murder everybody. And Hezekiah went in before the Lord and said, God, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, I've got this. <laughs> He said, don't listen to this guy. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, this king, Shinnachsarib, he's going to get word back in his own king, kingdom of Assyria, and he's going to have to go back and retreat the way he came, and when he gets there, he's going to be murdered. That's exactly what happened. Had they opened the gates... And given up without a fight. They would have been wiped out. But they hung on. They were confident in the Lord. God gave them a great victory. And that's really what the enemy wants the church to do. He wants us to give up without a fight. He wants us to give in to the culture. The culture says... You're being mean and hateful by not accepting everything. So just give in. Change your convictions. And I just want to say, don't do it. Don't do it. 
Our God is an awesome God. He's fought a lot of battles. He's won a lot of battles. There is no reason to give in. The Lord our God is an awesome God. And the family is worth fighting for. And I want to talk to you this morning about why the family is important. So that when somebody talks to you, and believe me, you will be influenced or someone will try to influence you. That will happen. And I want you to have an answer. And, and you need to realize that the voices of the world and the principle of the world, they're based on lies. It's always been based on lies. But the voice of the Holy Spirit that is speaking to the church and the Word of God, it's based on the truth. We have the truth on our side. So why is the church, why is the family important? First of all, the family is designed by God. Now listen, any attack on the family is an attack on the designer. If he's the designer, if you attack the family, then ultimately you're attacking the designer, the planner. It was designed by God, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. Look at it, Genesis chapter 2. It says this, Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I want to say amen to that. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Hot dog. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Verse 20. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. Can you see him looking at the giraffe and saying, no, Lord, I don't think so. And the hippopotamus, I, I, I don't believe so. This, this is not going to, this is not going to be a helper. Not, no, no, no way, Lord. So the Lord, God, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, because otherwise we would have entered in our two, two cents worth. It's a good thing we were asleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made, created a woman from the rib. And he brought her to man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is, uh, this is, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is much better. This is, this one is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man. He just took one look. Whoa, man. Let's call her whoa, man. Because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That has been the design and the plan forever. It's always been that way. Always been that way. Now, what happened? That's Genesis chapter 2. Everybody remember what happened in chapter 3? The serpent came, tempted Eve. Eve tempted Adam. They took the fruit that they should not took, should have taken. They sinned, separated from Almighty God, lost fellowship, lost covering, lost blessing. Now, what does that tell you? Right after God creates the family, Satan is right there to mess the family up. 
Satan is right there to mess things up. As soon as God created the most wonderful thing, the family, the husband and the wife, who would then have children and would be raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. As soon as God did that, Satan was right there. I said, I want to mess it up. Satan hates the family. He hates the design and plan of God. And that's the way it is today. As soon as you make a family, as soon as you fall in love with someone and they love you and you love them, as soon as that happens, I can guarantee you, Satan's going to be right there trying to mess that thing up. And if the question is, okay, we've been having, we've been married 10 years, is the devil going to give up on trying to mess us up? And I'm, my answer is no. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it doesn't matter. He hates families. Now, here's the truth. Families come in all sorts. There are no ideal families. The truth is, there are broken families. And the reality is, there are single-parent families. That's just the reality. And yeah, it'd be great if everything were like... Remember the show, Leave it to Beaver? You know? June Cleaver, I believe that was the wife's name. And what was the husband's name? Yeah. And she would walk... Ward, yeah. And she would walk in, have pearls on to fix breakfast. <laughs> you know, you know, hair's all fixed up. Your doll's dolled up. He had a tie on every morning. I'm saying, this is a bunch of baloney. There's nobody that looks like this in the morning. <laughs> then he had their coffee, you know. The truth of it is, folks, marriages and homes, it's tough. And they're brokenness. But the Lord... Gives grace and mercy. He helps us. And if you're if you're single here today, God wants to help you to fulfill the plan of God for your life. If if you're a single parent, God wants to help you. Ideally, yeah, it'd be great if there's mom and dad there, but you know, even if it's not, God can help you. He can strengthen you. And We have to resist the lies of the enemy. And and in love, I say this, but the plan is one man and one woman. That's the plan. That's the way it is. And the world is trying to say differently. Let me just tell you a little bit from my experience. And, you know, my experience is different maybe from others because maybe I'm a little older, but when I was growing up, there were always guys that were not the macho guys that were out on the football field. You know what I'm saying? They liked to, they were, and I was one of those. I sang in choir, and I did drama, and some of the macho, masculine guys, you know, kind of ribbed you a little bit and said, oh, you're a little funny, you know. I'm not funny. <laughs> Never was. And, and on the other side, there are always girls. We called them tomboys. 
You know, they like to hunt and fish more than they like frilly dresses. That has always been the way it is. Because we're unique and we're different. We don't fit a perfect mold. We don't have to fit a perfect mold. But here's where the enemy comes in. He comes in and if somebody's just a little bit off the perfect mold, they rush in to say, oh, you're a homosexual, you're a lesbian, or you're this or you're that, or maybe now it's even changed. Now you maybe you're a transgender and you don't know what you are. Just because the world tries to redefine us doesn't mean we have to buy that. Truth of it is, we're still men, we're still women. And we may not fit a classical mold, but we don't have to. We don't have to. Guys can be like, you know, cooking and and, and things like that and still be guys. And girls can still like hunting and fishing and wearing camouflage and still be freely girls. But we don't have to buy the lies of the enemy because the enemy has come in to say, oh, this is who you are. No, it's not. It's not. It's just not true. You know, they had a huge study the other day by John Hopkins University, one of the largest genetic studies done so far and they said it proved conclusively that the choice to be homosexual or lesbian is not genetic they proved that genetically and that's been one of the things that they've been trying to get us to buy for hundreds of years here it's not true it's just not true it's a choice so The family is important because God designed it. It's it's okay to believe that God is a good designer. It is. And it's not hatred. It's not exclusion. It's not, you know, any kind of those terrible names they want to call us. If we just simply believe that we are, this is the way we are created. Second reason why family is important, and that is the family is designed to nurture children. I want to tell you, that is the best place to nurture children is with a mom and a dad. Now, hey, if you're a single parent here today, God has to give you grace and mercy to be the both the mom and the dad. But this is one more reason why the church is important. Because if you are a single parent, whether a mom or a dad, you need to be and have your children raised up in the local church so that there can be godly men and women to have influence in your children's life. More important, you need to have godly men around those young men and those young ladies if they don't have a dad at home. That's one of the things. And and if you've got a godly grandfather or uncle, make sure your children have influence from those godly influences. And yeah, it may not be ideal, but children need the influence of mom and dad. Been going on a long time. Look, if you would, just one scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to, uh, actually the message next week is going to be on the, uh, the whole aspect of children. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. 
And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all His decrees and command, you will enjoy a long life. And then jump over a few at a couple of verses. Verse 5 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. And I love this part. Repeat them again and again to your children. Do you, have you ever figured out you've got to say it again and again? Yeah. Talk to them. Talk about them. Referring to the, uh, the commandments of the Lord. When you're at home. When you're on the road in your car. When you're going to bed. When you're getting up. Tie them to your, don't tie them up. Tie them to the commandments to your hands. <laughs> Sometimes you ought to feel like you ought to tie your kids up, but don't do that. You tie the commandments <laughs> and wear them on the forehead's a reminder. Now you don't have to do that, but just it's the whole idea here. Have it in front of them. Have it before them. And write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. So the whole idea is that The plan is that men and women would get married, they would have children, and they would nurture children, and then those parents would then pass that on to the next generation. And it's so important. And I'm not going to talk more about that because that's going to be next week's sermon. Third reason why family is important, and that is family designed to model Christ's love for the church. How many of you realize you're on display You are on display. Whether you like it or not, you are on display. Truth of it is, your love for your wife, your love for your husband is on display to everybody. So you need to be careful. The way you treat and the way you love and the way you forgive your spouse. Because the world's watching. The world is listening. Look, if you would, a couple of verses in Ephesians 5, verse 21. We start with verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's a key verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now he's going to show this both ways, men and women. For wives, this means submit to your husbands, ask the Lord. As for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of his body, the church. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ... So you wives submit, should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, turning around, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So the whole idea is that we submit to one another. We reverence one another. We treat one another with reverence and awe and respect. Why? Because we are modeling the love that God has for the church. The marriage relationship is a picture of how Jesus loves the church. And so the world can find out how much God loves them by how much you love your wife. Or how you love your husband. But if you're fighting and feuding and arguing and yelling and refusing to forgive and hollering and nagging and yelling and screaming, then the world is watching. And then they have a, you know, I I don't believe I want this love stuff. If they can't even pull it off at home, I don't think I want this. Be careful. We model. The, the family is supposed to be the model for the world to see. 
And we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it. You know, we go to Africa. We do the marriage conference. Because we believe this is important. It's important here. It's important there. It's important any place we go. You know, one of the first things we say to the pastors in Kenya, and that is, we're not coming to bring you Western culture. This is not American culture, what I'm talking about. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It works in Africa. It works in uh, Egypt. It works in uh, Samaria. It works in any country in the world. It works in Canada. It works in America. Why? It's the Word of God. God wanted husbands to treat their wives with honor and respect. He wanted wives to honor and love and respect their husbands. God wants that. Why? Because the world is watching and we display the love of God to one another. Ladies, how many of you have had a hard time forgiving your husband when he messes up? Okay. I, okay. Uh, now, for those that didn't raise your hand, I, I'd like you to repent right quick. Okay. You had time to repent? Okay. So now I'm going to ask you one more time. Ladies, how many of you have had a hard time forgiving your husband when he messes up? Now we're getting a little more honest here. Now, I've never seen hands go up and down so quick. Do you see that? I mean, one, one lady, it's just like this. You know, it's like I, if I hadn't have been looking at her, it, I'd have never seen it. Okay, let's turn it around a little bit. Men. Could we just skip this part? Men, how many of you have had a hard time forgiving your wife? Come on, men. Hold it up there, guys. Come on. Be men. There we go. That's the truth. We all struggle to forgive one another. But the Lord gives grace and mercy. He gives grace and mercy. Fourth thing I want to say to you about family, why family is so important, and that is the family is designed to last a lifetime. Say the word lifetime. Remember when you made your wedding vows? Remember that part of the vows that had to do with duration? Now, hopefully, in your marriage ceremony, you did not say... Till the first time I disagree. It said something about till death do us part. And America has gotten a disease of throwing away marriages when we disagree. And the truth of it is. God has called us to be forgiving and not give up. Now, my mom and my dad are both with the Lord. My dad was was a hard guy. Some of you have talked about this. He worked hard. Automotive mechanic and taught automotive technology. Worked hard all day. 
He had a short temper. And as kids, you're growing up, there were five kids. One of them, my older brother, left when he was in the ninth grade and never came back. Um, my daddy was pretty tough. And I want to tell you one of my experiences. I love my parents. I don't say this to them in disrespect. But one day my dad lost his temper. And my, I'll say this for my daddy. He never hit my mama. Never hit my mama. And he taught us kids, don't you ever hit a woman for any reason. You might have to run, but don't hit them. But my daddy lost his temper. I don't know what happened. It was something happened. Usually wasn't a whole lot of, to do with anything. He lost his temper, and my daddy threw things. I guess because he didn't want to hit my mom, he started throwing things. And it just he was yelling, screaming, and all us kids, we would, we would run hide. And I can remember this particular time, he, he would really lost it. And I, was, I didn't just hide in my room. I hid in my closet because I could hear things busting up. I'd be daddy yelling. It had lasted a long time. I can't remember how long. And I never will forget, always after that, my daddy would leave, cool down. And, and I was a teenager. I don't know, maybe 14 years old, maybe 15. I can't remember. But I remember walking out, walking up to my mama. My mama was crying. She was at the kitchen table. And I just I hurt so much for as a teenage boy to see my mama being yelled at like that. And I said, Mama, if you want to leave, I'll go with you and I'll help you. Now, I didn't know what I was saying. What am I going to do to help my mama, 14 years old? But I just I hated to see what was happening. And what my mama said that day changed my life. She said something that kind of stuck with me and never, never left. She looked at me and she said, Renee, your daddy loves me. And when he comes back, he's going to apologize. And I want you to understand something. I don't give up just because he makes mistakes. I just forgive him. And I ask you to do the same thing. Just forgive him before he ever gets back. And sure enough, about an hour or so, he came back. I heard him apologizing to mom. And I, I, didn't, I didn't realize at the time what my mama was saying was what the Scripture says. What the Scripture says is that we're to bear with one another. We're to be forgiving of one another. And my mom and dad came from a generation that you didn't give up on marriage. You just worked harder at it. And you just forgave one another. Had there been physical abuse, that probably would have changed. A little different. It's just he yelled a lot and threw things. One time my mom cut his hair. <laughs> she didn't have real good eyesight. She, she messed his hair up. He got mad through the mirror and it broke the commode and he had to spend all night fixing the commode. <laughs> he, 
I thought that served him right. <laughs> taught him. I don't know if it taught him anything. Colossians three thirteen says this. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. See, what my mama was saying that night, it's just what the scripture says. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anybody who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive, forgive others. Who of you here has not messed up? Who of you here has not lost your temper? Who of you here has not yelled at somebody when you wished you hadn't have yelled at them? How many of you here stand before God and say, Oh, I'm perfect. I've never done any of those things. None, none of you. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all messed up. We've all lost our temper. We've all made mistakes that we wish we could undo, but we can't sometimes. But marriages are designed to last a lifetime. And in order to pull that off, you've got to forgive And the other important thing is you have to have Jesus. If you're here today and you're trying to make your marriage work and you don't have Jesus, you will never make it. You can't forgive one another until you know what it means to be forgiven of your own sins by the blood of Jesus. First, you have to have forgiveness of your own sins. And know how you have fallen short of the glory of God. Then you can look at others and understand, okay, they've messed up. I'm going to forgive them. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us endure, uh, develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this is the hope that will lead, not, this hope will not lead us to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Verse 6. When we are utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God overlooked your faults, saw your need, and went to the cross. He knew you would need forgiveness. He knew you would fall short. He knew you would lose your temper. He knew you would be murderers and adulterers and liars and thieves. He knew you would mess up your life. He knew you would disappoint people. He knew that. That's the reason he went to the cross. He went to the cross so you could have a new life. So you could be forgiven of your sin. 
If we start on this series about the family, it all starts at the cross. If you're going to have a family that honors and loves God, it starts at the cross. You have to know Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Every person here. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. I know we're running a little bit late from normal, but if you don't mind, I'd I'd just ask you to be patient. Hang in there with us. Today, if you're broken, hurting, and maybe your marriage is teetering, maybe it's Maybe you've even thought about leaving your husband or your wife. Maybe you've thought about giving up. Today, I want to ask you to be willing to recommit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. If you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus, you need to start over again this morning. You will never make it in this life. You'll never, your marriage will never make it. Your family will never be who you're called to be until you first start out with Jesus as Lord. Hard enough as it is, but you've got to start there. We'll be talking in the weeks to come about the principles that we need to have to have a healthy family. But today, we want to start with Jesus. Making Him Lord of your life. If you're here this morning... And you would be willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And say, Lord, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus as the Lord of my life. And just ask you to slip up your hand. Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. A couple of hands. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. This is where we start. You want to change your life? Start over again? Make a new life? This is where it all starts. Making Jesus the Lord of your life worship team is going to sing and as they sing i'm going to ask you to, if you raise your hand or if you just be willing it doesn't matter whether you raise your hand or not i'm just going to ask you to slip out of your seat come right down here i want to pray with you you would be willing to make jesus christ the lord of your life and say lord i've messed up my life i need to start over again today it begins right now would you just be willing to say yes i, I know it's sometimes it's tough to get out of your seat and come but would you just make that decision He went to the cross for you. Would you be willing to come to the front and make Him the Lord of your life today? God is drawing many of you. Would you come today? I just want to pray with you and ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. This is where it all starts. Anybody? I'm going to raise your hand. Take the next step. Come on, take the next step. I know it's not easy. Thank you, young man. Amen. A couple of POR guys. Anybody else? Yes, come on. Anybody else? Come on. Yeah. Come on, there's some, some, more, some more of you. Raise your hand. Come on. Just say yes to him and say, Lord, I, I want to 
changed my life. Anybody else? Let's sing it. Let's sing it. Forever all my days. Come on, ladies. Hallelujah. We're going to wait just a minute. Let's sing it as somebody. The Spirit of God is speaking to some hearts this morning. Would you respond to Him and say, Yes, Lord, I want to start my life out new. Hallelujah. pray. Just encourage you out there, if you would, just stretch out your hand in faith. For those of you up here, I just want to ask you to pray out loud with me. And again, it's a decision of your heart to surrender. It's an important decision. God hears your heart. I just want to ask you to pray out loud with me. This is that we're acknowledging. The Bible says we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, you shall be saved pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I've messed up my life. I've done it my way. Today, Lord, I surrender to you. I give I give you my life. I say the blood of Jesus is forgiveness for my sin. Receive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Come into my life and take over. Make me a brand new person. Fill me with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.